The following sermon is from New Life Baptist Church, where we exist to see lives transformed by the gospel as we make, mature, and mobilize disciples of Jesus. To learn more about our church, please visit our website at newlifeba.org. Well, last week, I opened my sermon by sharing some scientific and historical mysteries and phenomena that still puzzle us today. Some of you may remember some of those. Well, in the same spirit, because this is part two of this passage, I want to share a few more with us this morning. Uh, we, we, we grapple with the mystery such as where, where is Germany's stolen plunder from World War II? All the treasure hunters in the room. Uh, wh- what's going on in Area 51? And is there really alien life in the universe? Uh, who, who's the real D.B. Cooper? Right? H- how did the Egyptians, how in the world did they build the Great Pyramids? Or maybe uh, some more abstract and philosophical questions. What, what is the nature of time? How does the brain form memories? Or maybe speaking on the brain, maybe for some men in this room, maybe the most confounding mystery in the universe that remains is this. How does a woman's mind work, right? Or maybe for you ladies in the room, maybe equally as confounding for you is this. Why doesn't a man's mind ever seem to work, right? But despite all of our scientific advances... We still live in a time where mysteries abound. Yet I think, right, even more perplexing for some, maybe for some of you in this room, for some Christians, equally as perplexing is this question. What is God's will for my life? For some of you, the answer to that question is like a mirage in the desert, You feel like you're gaining some traction. You're getting closer to discovering that answer. But then all of a sudden, something in life happens. Seems to wreck your discovery. And you feel as though you're back to square one. Well, this morning, I do have some good news for you, church. Because our passage teaches us that God's will, it is knowable. You can know God's will. And you can have certainty that you are following God's will. In your life. And so this is the main point of my sermon. And I believe the main point of our passage this morning, which will be verse 17. And it is this God's will is knowable. Therefore, understand and obey God's will and pursue God's will. God's will it is knowable. We can't understand it. Therefore, understand and obey it and pursue God's will. So first notice That God's will, it is knowable. In verse 17, notice the command that Paul gives us. Understand what the will of the Lord is. And if so, if we are commanded to do something, then that means we then have the ability to do it. There have been some throughout history, and indeed many of our founding fathers, there have been some who were deists. And so for deists, these people, they believe that in in a concept of a higher being, a God, they they believe that this God, he did create the universe and he established rules then by which this universe is to be operated. And so after the rules are put into place, he then stepped back, took his hands off the will and left his creation to to it, to, to, to run, help run this world. In other words, these people believe that while, yes, there is a God, This God is not personally involved in our lives. And therefore, he cannot be personally 
known. There, there are others today who believe in a transcendent reality. Maybe you've heard of it. This is kind of a new phenomenon. There's a new wave of, of spiritual interest taking place in our country and, and even around the world. Yet, yet they, they put it on this impersonal force, this higher power that seems to be at work. And so they slap the name God on that, what they believe to be this impersonal force. Well, well this is not the description of the God of scripture. Yes, our God, he is the one true living God. He is transcendent. He is high and far above all of his creation. He's not bound by his creation. He's absolutely sovereign and totally independent of what he has made. He depends on no one or no thing. He alone is eternal and self-existing. So yes, he is far above us. But also, listen, church, the Bible teaches that, yes, this transcendent God, he has made himself known to his creation. He has revealed himself to us through his word and through his son. Therefore, if he's made himself known to us, then listen, that implies that he has also revealed his will to us as well. But what, what is God's will? We, we throw that word around a lot. What, what does it mean what, what does God's will mean? Maybe a helpful definition is this. That God's will, it's an attribute whereby he approves and he determines to bring about everything that is necessary to advance his purpose in the world. I know that's really wordy, but we'll, we'll, we'll unpack that. It's his attribute whereby he approves and he determines to bring about everything that is necessary, everything required to fulfill his purposes. We won't read it, but Ephesians 1.11, we, just, we, uh, we looked at that about six months ago. About how, <laughs> I heard Ms. Cheryl laugh. Uh, uh, we look, uh, but we looked and we learned how all things, he's working all things according to the counsel of his will. And so to carry out his will, the Bible refers to two different aspects of God's will. We're getting into the theology, but then hold, hang with me. We're going to get into the practical here soon. First, we see that... that we see God's will of decree, and then we see God's will of desire. And so this is important. Hang with me. God's will of decree, or what some may call the secret will of God, this is God's plan that he put forth from eternity past to coordinate and to determine all of human events. Everything that has happened, everything that is happening, and everything that will happen. It's happening according to his ultimate purpose in the world. Psalm 46, I mean, Isaiah 46, 9 through 10 says this, For I am God, there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. I have spoken, and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed, and I will do it. In other words, church, what this means is that whatever God wills, will happen. No ifs, ands, or buts. Nothing, nothing, nothing happens in the universe apart from or contrary to God's will of decree. God is not the author of sin, nor does he ever approve of sin. But listen, church, God is absolutely sovereign over all things in our lives and throughout all of human history. Nothing happens apart from his will of decree. Whatever God wills will happen. And if God does not will it, 
It will not happen. And so maybe, how do we apply this? This truth, it should bring great comfort to our lives and to our hearts. That, that even in our greatest moments of suffering and hardship in life, we can confidently declare through eyes filled with tears, Father, I know you are sovereign. I know you're working all things according to the counsel of your will. And so therefore, in my season of suffering right now, I trust that you are working everything together for my greatest good and for your greatest glory. Nothing catches the Lord off notice. He is sovereign over all things. So, so this is God's will of decree. However, this is not the aspect of God's will Paul is referring to in our passage this morning. So you might be asking the question, well, why did you spend seven minutes bringing it up if that's not what Paul is referring to? Well, I did that because I think when we, sometimes when we think about God's will for our lives, many of us can get tripped up because we, without even knowing so, we are seeking to try to get a peek into God's will of decree. We, we want to know what future events of our lives uh, hold for us if we make this or that decision. And so if we can't know with great certainty if something will pan out, then we conclude, well, I guess I just don't know God's will in this situation. But God's word, it never promises that when we follow God's will, we will gain divine insight into the future events of our lives. Knowing God's will doesn't mean you know what's going to happen in your life in all the events. I think Deuteronomy 29, verse 29, it's, it's a helpful verse. It says this, that the secret things, they belong to the Lord. That's God's will of decree. The secret things, they belong to the Lord our God. But the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. So in other words, right, summarizing this, quit spending your life trying to figure out God's will of decree. He alone is God. Instead, spend your life understanding what he has revealed to us, namely his will of desire or his will of command. And that's what Paul is referring to in here in Ephesians chapter 5, his will of desire. And so to distinguish the two, when it comes to the will of decree, as we said before, what God wills will happen. But when it comes to his will of desire, we can say this, what, God's, what God wills should happen. So what God wills will happen, his will of decree Nothing will thwart his purposes. At the same time, what God has revealed to us in his word, his moral will or his will of desire, his will of command, we could say that oftentimes that will is disregarded in this world. Kevin Deong, he said this, he said, God's will of decree can't be thwarted, but God's will of desire is often disregarded. And so when Paul says, understand what the will of the Lord is, He's referring to God's will of desire, his will of command, what he has told us to do and what he expects from us in our lives. God's will, it is knowable because he has revealed his will to us. Therefore, secondly, we will see that, his, that God's will is to be understood and it is to be obeyed. What, what, what then, what is, if, if God has revealed his will to us, how could we summarize then what is God's will of command or what is God's revealed will? It, it, well, in his book, Found God, God's Will, John MacArthur outlines five different things, that five different components, five different headings of what God's will is. And so I'm going to use those and I'm going to fill it in 
with biblical truth. So first we see in the New Testament and in Scripture as a whole that God's will for your life is that you are saved. God uh, says this through the Apostle Peter in 2 Peter 3.9 that, that God desires that none should perish but that all should come to a knowledge of the truth. And so before you can know God's specific will and his plan for your life, you must know Jesus Christ as the Savior of your life. And so uh, maybe as an illustration, try, trying to follow God's will apart from turning from your sin and trusting in Jesus as your Savior is like putting together Ikea furniture without the instructions. How many of you have put together furniture from Ikea? Okay, we got a few. We got a few takers. So for those of you who are maybe not familiar with Ikea, we used to live in Kansas City where there was one. And I think there's one in Dallas as well. But Ikea, it's great, you know, discounted furniture. But when you open the box, there's about 3,000 pieces, it seems like. And you're like, how in the world does all of this fit together? Well, well, that's a little bit like trying to follow God's will apart from first submitting your life to him and trusting in him as savior. You, you see, you're trying to make sense of life, but you don't have the right ordering, the right the instructions to order life properly. And so the, the effect of sin, it may go something like this. God designed us. He created us to live in his good world according to his good design. Yet sin shattered and sin has shattered God's good design and it separated us from God. It corrupted his good design for our lives and it caused his good design to be disordered and disoriented within us because our sin, it separates us from God. But the good news of the gospel is this. That Jesus came to save us from our sins, to rescue us out of our sin, to redeem us from our sin, to bring us back into a right relationship with God. And in doing so, he then leads us back to God's good design. And so listen, if you're trying to get back to God's good design, if you're trying to follow his will apart from first trusting in Jesus, you will never make it there. Jesus, he is the bridge. He is the key to following and knowing God's will. Because he is the one who gives us new life. And so the very first step to following God's will is that you are saved. That you're reconciled to God in a right relationship with him. But secondly, following God's will means that you are spirit filled. And so we won't spend a whole lot of time on this one because Lord willing, maybe as a teaser, Lord willing, next week we will talk about how to live the spirit filled life. What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? That will be next week's sermon. But suffice to say, it is God's will that you are filled with the Holy Spirit. Maybe to put some flesh on that, it's God's will that every facet of your life is brought under the control and the sway and the influence of the Holy Spirit who dwells within you. Thirdly, we would say that God's will, it is that you are sanctified. First Corinthians 4, chapter 3, it says this. Paul says this, for this is the will of God. Get ready for it, right? What is God's will for my life? He says, this is the will of God, your sanctification. It is God's will that you are sanctified. Paul, he goes on to say what this consists of. It consists of moral purity. It consists of speech that honors the Lord. It consists of rightly interacting with your brothers and sisters and other people in your life. And so to be sanctified, that means that you're set apart for a specific purpose. That is to grow in holiness and likeness to Jesus Christ. And so if you remember a few weeks back, a sermon I preached on 
on Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 and 2, right? Paul reminds us as imitators of God, we are to cast off our lives, our former lives of impurity, immorality, filthy and foolish and demeaning and degrading speech and all other forms of covetousness. We're to cast all of that off because we're to be imitators of God. We're to pursue sanctification. We are to lead holy lives and lives that are growing in likeness to Jesus Christ all by his grace. How many of you remember the WWJD bracelets? And that was a a going trend, right? And I remember as a kid, you know, it was kind of the cool thing, which praise God to be in a society where it was a little cool, but it was a cool thing to wear that to school. WWJD, right? What would Jesus do? And so the goal of our lives, it shouldn't be, how can I make the most money? How can I live the most comfortably? How can I avoid the most pain? Or even, how can I raise my kids most effectively? No, the ultimate goal, the ultimate goal of our lives should be, how can I grow in greatest likeness to Jesus Christ? Romans chapter 8, verse 29 says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. The purpose of your existence is to grow in greater likeness to Jesus. It is God's will that you grow in sanctification that you grow in holiness, that you grow in likeness to Christ. Fourthly, it is God's will that we submit in our lives. And so while God's righteousness, it largely consists of a moral nature, right? Uh, Of doing things that are morally right before the Lord. It also involves more broadly this idea of submitting to God's right ordering of creation. So you'll note the first original sin in the garden, what happened? Well, prior to that, God had established a hierarchy of authority. God to man, man to woman, creation to man and woman. But in the fall, in the first act of sin, a usurping and an undoing of God's authority structure took place. The great reversal happened as the serpent, creation, rebelled against its authority, man and woman. The woman disregarded her authority And the man failed to exercise spiritual leadership. They consented to disobey God. And therefore, Adam and Eve rebelled against God's authority over their lives. The original sin was the great reversal. So while a life of righteousness and peace is one of submission, which Adam and Eve experienced pre-fall, a life of strife and hostility is one of rebellion, one that we now experience in this lifetime after the fall. And so we'll look at later on what it means to submit in the rest of the book of Ephesians. But Paul would say maybe something like this if I had to cliff note it. Christian, submit your life to your Savior and to your brothers and sisters in Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands. Children, submit to your parents. Church member, submit to your pastors. Employee, submit to your employer. And citizen, submit to your government. Not, not just when you want to, not just when you feel like it, but doing so always, Paul says, out of reverence for Christ. This is not glamorous. This is not a, 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 a maybe a, oh, an initially enticing way to live, but it is the pathway to peace. It's a living a life in submission to God's good design and his ordering of creation. The only caveat of all of that being when those forms of authority compel us to sin against God or prohibit us to 
obeyed God. In those cases, we must obey God rather than men. And then fifthly, finally, what is God's will for my life? God's will for your life is that you're saved. That God's will for your life is that you're spirit-filled, that you're sanctified, that you submit. And then finally, this might be surprising initially, or it should be shocking initially maybe, but it should not be surprising. God's will for your life is that you live a life of suffering in this lifetime. Right? That's shocking initially, but it shouldn't be surprising because Jesus said in John chapter 15, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. And following this line of thinking, Paul says in 2 Timothy 3.12, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life. How many want to live a godly life? Any, any takers in this room? Amen. Paul says all who desire to live a godly life will be persecuted. Well, one of the most famous and encouraging books of the Bible on suffering is the, the epistle 1 Peter. In 1 Peter 4, Peter says this, Don't be surprised when you're persecuted and you suffer for the sake of Christ. But instead, if you're insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed. Because the spirit of glory and of Christ rides, rests on you. And he goes on to say, 1 Peter 4.19, Therefore, let those who suffer, listen to this key word, for, let those who suffer according to God's will. Many times in life we think the good life is the avoidance of pain. But the good life, church, is the presence of God even amid our pain. That's the good life. Let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. If we seek to live lives of faithfulness to Christ, living godly lives and sharing the good news of Jesus with a dark and lost world, then we should expect opposition and persecution. And if you don't believe me, just read through Hebrews chapter 11. We love the hall of faith, right? We call it the hall of faith. And man, how inspiring. But you don't get very far when you see, okay, what happened to Abel who lived by faith? He died. What happened to all the others? What happened to that? The, person, the, one, the unnamed people who lived by faith, they were sawed in half, the book of Hebrews says. Right? Read through the Hebrews 11. Read through 2 Corinthians 11 where you see Paul's sufferings. Surely he lived according to God's will, right? Read through the Fox's Book of Martyrs. Read, read through some of church history. Read about William Tyndale who was killed for the sake of translating the Bible into English. Read about Adoniram Judson who lost children and wives for sequential wives, not concurrent wives. Had one wife died, another died, a wife, and she died as well but who suffered much for the sake of Christ. Robert Murray McShane, whose life was cut short because he was ministering to those sick in his city. John and Betty Stamm, who were beheaded for the sake of Christ. Jim Elliott, which you might be familiar with, and others. And read about all of our brothers and sisters around the world who today, right now, are suffering for the sake of Jesus Christ. While we often times since we are benefits of a society that was built upon Judeo-Christian values, while we oftentimes read of these lives and these great saints and we see their suffering as exceptional, we should rather see their lives of suffering as expected for the Christian life. And we should also often view our lack of suffering not as the norm, but as the anomaly for what it means to pursue righteousness. 
if you are a Christian living a godly life in an ungodly world, then listen, church, you will suffer, Paul says, and Jesus says. God's will for your life. We don't seek pain. We seek obedience to Christ. But God's will for your life is that when you live with such a boldness in the gospel, you're willing then to let the chips fall where they may, no matter the consequences. So so I want to ask you, maybe put this home to you this morning. Church, are you willing to suffer for the one who suffered for you? He suffered for you, church, to the point of death, death on a cross. Will you not then be willing to live lives of faithfulness and lives of obedience to him, even if it may involve suffering? God's will is that you're saved, that you're spirit-filled, that you're sanctified, and that you are submissive, and that you suffer for Christ's sake. And so hear the word of the Lord this morning. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Which then leads to the final point this morning. And that is thirdly, finally, we are to pursue God's will. Maybe, maybe when I first introduced the sermon this morning, you were really excited. You thought you were going to gain insights into the specific, what, what's God's will for my life this week? He, the pastor's going to prophesy into my heart and my life, and he's going to tell me exactly what I'm supposed to do. Well, that's not happening, you might notice, right? You may be a little let down, but listen, church, when we follow in God's revealed will, he will reveal to us his specific plan for our lives. When we seek to grow in God's will through studying his word and obeying God's will in our days, when we seek to live for God's glory, then there is liberating news for you this morning. You are free to do whatever you want in life. When you are seeking to know God's will, when you're seeking to obey God's will, when you're living, seeking to live for his glory, then you're free to do whatever you may want in life. Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. So that verse, the focus is on the first part, delighting yourself in the Lord. So when your life, when it's wrapped up in pleasing the Lord, when you're seeking to delight yourself in him, then your desires will be shaped such that you desire to live for his glory above all things. So just focus then. If you want to do God's will, if you want to know his specific plan for your life, just focus in on delighting yourself in the Lord. And he will then put godly desires within your heart. He, he may, yes, call you to the mission field. He may call you to the pastorate. But he also, he may call you to the workplace. He may call you to serve sacrificially or give sacrificially to your church. He may call you to open up a business, to do good through commerce to others. Whatever you desire. When you seek to delight yourself in the Lord, he will renew and he will align those desires so that you live then for his glory. Maybe maybe to put a bow on it. In other words, God cares more about who you are than about what you are to do. God cares more about who you are than what you are to do. He cares more about your character, that your character is being shaped by his revealed will in your life. And then... He cared, then he reveals the details, the other details of your life. 99%, you've heard me say it before, but 99% of God's will, it's already made plain to us in his word. And so when we walk in obedience to his revealed will, his word, it will be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path as we traverse the unknowns of life. So when we're making decisions, should we be prayerful? Yes. 
Should we be spirit-filled? Yes. Should we walk in wisdom? Yes. Should we make our decisions in light of eternity? Yes. Should we aim to make decisions that would bring God glory? Yes. But should we? But should trying to follow God's will, should it paralyze us into indecision? No. So I maybe just ask you again, what do you want most to do in your life? What are the deepest desires of your heart? Question, are they in alignment with God's revealed will? Question, are they, is your motivation to bring God greatest glory through your life? Will it help you to grow in likeness to Jesus Christ? If so, then do it. Do it. It's in line with God's will. Maybe you're still thinking, well, I still don't know what to do with my life. I just want to encourage you, just start moving. Because I promise you, idleness is not God's will for your life. Spending your days in front of a TV or scrolling social media, this is not God's will for your life. Paul talks about encourage the idle. Don't be busybodies, Paul says. Right? Idleness is not God's will. So just start moving. And as you seek out and as you take on good responsibilities that provide for others and that advance God's kingdom, and as you start serving the Lord, when you do so, when you start moving, God will guide you into the specific details of his personalized plan for your life. So maybe just a very quick illustration. Emily and I, we, uh, in 2019, we discerned, we thought that God was leading us to serve overseas on the mission field. And so we started the application process. We started moving and we started going through as a lengthy process with the International Mission Board. Long story short, uh, we, we moved to Tulsa uh, to spend a little bit of time with family. And then about a month after we moved back to Tulsa, we found out that one of our children had a medical condition that precluded us from going overseas. And so initially we were we were discouraged we were asking lord what are you doing in our life but listen church we started moving thinking god's plan was for us to go overseas but in reality in his providence he guided us here to new life baptist church and so listen church we we when we don't know what to do do what you know to do when you don't know what to do in life just start doing what you know to do Follow his revealed will, and then he will, he will figure out, and he will show you all the details of your life. Proverbs 19 says, Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. We have dreams, we have desires, we have plans, and those are good things. And then God will work them out to bring them in alignment with his purposes. Ephesians 2.10, if you remember, church, we, we learned that we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God has prepared good works for your life. So walk in them. Pursue God's will. And when you do so, his providential hand will guide you along the way. Sometimes we want to know how everything will turn out in life before we make a decision, don't we? And if we don't know, we say, right, again, I don't know God's will. And this can sound initially spiritual because we don't want to, we, 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 we want to be careful not to be outside of God's will. But in reality, when we think this way, in reality, it's an act of unbelief, church. Because in effect, what we are saying is this to the Lord. God, I don't trust that you will lead me and that you will guide me through 
the unknown. And so listen, seldom will, in life will things turn out how we thought they would. But if we are following the Lord, if we're obeying his revealed will, things will turn out always how they should. Because he will orchestrate all things, all things in your life for your greatest good and for his greatest glory. In conclusion, following God's will, it doesn't mean peering into a magical crystal ball and divining his grand purposes. And it's not some elusive matter that's meant to frustrate and paralyze us in life. No, God has already revealed his will for your life. He has already prepared good works for you to do. So may we then walk in wisdom as we seek to obey his will and fulfill his plan. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to today's sermon. If you have any questions or if we can serve you in any way, please connect with us at newlifeba.org.